0: Hey everybody, welcome back. Craig Shop here with Bob Garver, our New York City film critic, and if Bob is here, that means we're talking movies, and it's been a little while since we've spoken to Bob, but we are excited to be back at it, and Bob has quite a few movies to uh, talk about, and then we will also talk a little bit about the Oscars, which is on Sunday. Bob... I I know we have quite a bit to get to here, so let's get started with uh, magic Mike, which was one of the first movies that we were going to review, but uh, ended up, uh, you know, having some issues with, you know, coordination. So um, let's get started with your uh, list of reviews with magic Mike, the last dance or magic Mike's last dance, I should say.
1: Yeah. Magic Mike's last dance. Um, This is uh, the third entry in the magic Mike series. Um, Mm -hmm. He, uh, lost uh, you know all of his relationships and uh, it seems savings in the pandemic and uh, now has to start from scratch. Uh, he uh, forms this relationship with this uh, rich this uh, rich heiress played by Salma Hayek. and uh, he goes to London where she owns a theater and he puts together a, uh, a rather uh, rather adult entertainment show uh for uh for her um this uh was originally supposed to go uh, directly to streaming my understanding and it, it probably should have stayed that way because this isn't a a very good movie uh not very tantalizing visually um and not very amb- ambitious from a performance or storytelling standpoint aside from the natural charisma of Channing tatum and Selma hayek right
0: Kind of a surprise to hear you say that, especially given that Steven Soderbergh is back in the director's chair um, after, of course, directing the first one. He did not direct uh, the sequel, but here he comes back into the directing chair. And uh seems odd that, you know, we would be talking about a movie that first would be a direct-to-streaming release, but more so one that probably should have stayed there. And then also, as you mentioned in your, you know, review there, that maybe just didn't, uh, you know tantalize the senses or have a nice visual style which Soderbergh's known for or at least a a, a quick wit script uh so it's kind of disappointing to hear you say that Uh, did you have a final grade here for magic mike's last dance uh c minus okay all right well move on to the uh to the next film here in your uh in your capsule
1: all right this next film is uh thus far the biggest movie of 2023 uh and that is the latest mcu released ant-man and the wasp quantum mania um ant-man paul rudd and his uh daughter girlfriend and the girlfriend's parents all get shrunk down into the quantum realm uh where they um you know experience a a whole new world of uh of you know supposedly fun new characters uh one really terrible returning character which i won't reveal here but it's (laughs) completely ruins the movie um, and uh, they also encounter a new villain named Kang the Conqueror played by Jonathan Majors who is apparently going to be the next big bad of the MCU uh, kind of like a kind of like a Thanos type sure uh, you know but that's that's down the line here he doesn't get the best of introductions probably a better introduction than Thanos got but but still not a great introduction here. Uh, in Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania.
0: You know, it's 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 one of those, I, I think we've talked about it numerous times, you know, different occasions, different reasons for it. But, you know, I think there's probably been some Marvel fatigue. Obviously, this is, you know, we're getting up into, I don't even know what phase we're in. I probably we upwards... It's phase five. five. Upwards of probably 40 movies or more now that have, you know, have a Marvel cinematic universe attachment. Um, you know, I, I think we can, you know, whether you liked all the movies in that initial sort of run, whether you want to call it the Infinity Saga, whatever, however you want to, you know, differentiate these phases and or story, you know, threads, I think we can agree that it seemed like they had a lot more focus in this, in, in the Infinity Saga, telling a story that, you know, essentially, I guess you would say started with Iron Man the the first Iron Man and ended with um you know Thanos's you know ultimate demise and you know now that they've kind of restarted this this new these newer phases and this newer storyline it doesn't seem as focused what do you think you know ultimately from where we were with Marvel which seemed like they had a good game plan to now it doesn't I don't know if they really do it seems like they're just throwing something against the wall and hoping it sticks
1: yeah, this franchise has definitely lost its way uh, since um, since Avengers Endgame back in twenty nineteen. Uh, you know, a lot of new characters that they're introducing aren't aren't catching on, like the Eternals. Mm, yeah. um, Ant Man, uh, you know, was always a kind of a popular character, but his movies always had kind of a specific flavor to them. Sure, um, and that that flavor is missing from this entry. Uh, it's just another you know kind of relative relatively smart alecky hero in a you know uh, sort of generic new world uh, you know not not one as interesting as uh, as Wakanda uh, I'd say it's about as interesting as that uh, as the new underwater world from uh, from the new Black Panther movie, where you can't really can't really fathom how people can live here twenty four seven, because it looks so dreary. Right.
0: Yeah, it's and I think you know with Ant Man is you know and and there's there's these pillar characters I think in the Avengers saga, you know obviously Iron Man, Captain America, but I, I kind of feel like Ant Man was always a good secondary character to have. And I, and I think there was a pleasant surprise with the Ant-Man movie being solid, more, you know, more solid than it probably should have been. You yeah. know, the sequel, the sequel, I think the sequel is obviously that we've, we've seen sort of a deterioration of this franchise of Ant-Man itself. Probably doesn't need its own franchise, but I think they're trying to capitalize on characters that have migrated over from the Robert Downey Jr. led Avengers to where people like, well, you know, I, I know Paul Rudd, I know Ant-Man from the, uh, you know, the Good Avengers movies. Let's watch another Ant-Man movie. Um, are are you interested in what they have moving forward? I mean, obviously, I know there's still a lot in the in the pipe right now, the pipeline uh, with the the Fantastic Four, the X-Men are supposed to be coming in here in the near future. Um, but you know, from from your point of view, does King the Conqueror kind of give you that sense that there's a good villain at least to start, and then maybe they can mold it around much like they did with a good Thanos villain with Josh Brolin's performance there?
1: Uh, they're going to have to to step up their game uh, if they want uh, Kang to have the, the reputation of Thanos. I mean, it can be done. I mean, Thanos, you know, what did Thanos do at first? He just kind of glared and, and sent minions after them. And that right, right. Was, that, that was pretty bad. Um, this one, uh, this guy takes some L's off the, takes some losses off the bat that makes him kind of hard to take seriously. Mm. But uh, so, so they need to do some improvements there. But I, I think I think the character can be salvaged. I think the franchise obviously can be salvaged. I think they just need to, you know, stop basically making the same movie over and over. Right. which is, Which is what this has become.
0: Do you have a, a, any excitement moving forward with this? You know, this new phase of franchise where you're not going to see the Iron Mans of the world. You might see less of Thor. You might see less of the Hulk. Definitely, probably not Captain America. I, are you excited about the event? Uh, you know, the the Fantastic Four or X Men or are those franchises kind of played out? Even though they haven't been in the Disney realm yet.
1: Uh, I would need to see uh, where they go with uh, fantastic four. Uh, I guess if I guess if John Krasinski's involved, maybe I'm uh, kind of excited
0: yeah uh, but
1: otherwise no not really. okay.
0: Uh, what's your uh, final grade here for Ant
1: man? C minus especially because of the returning character that really oh, I drags think we the lost Bob
0: I'm
1: sorry. Hello. Okay, guy, I think you're frozen.
0: Okay, so it looks like we might have lost Bob, or maybe I lost Bob because my internet connection is uh, not so good. And there's Bob again. So we got you back. Good. I didn't know if it was on my end or your end there, but uh, uh, I'm not sure what you heard. The last thing I asked was your final grade here for Ant Man. Uh, What was your final grade? C minus. C minus. All right. And what's your next film? All right. uh, Next film is Cocaine Bear. Uh, This
1: is loosely based on a uh, true story of a bear that got into a stash of unguarded cartel product uh, back in the 80s. Uh, The bear didn't last very long because bears aren't meant to have cocaine. Neither are humans, quite frankly. Uh, But um, in this movie, uh, hungry bear plus cocaine equals woodland killing spree. (laughs) Yes. It's uh, basically a horror comedy.
0: Yeah. And it's based out of my home state here of Tennessee now. I obviously live in Tennessee now. and This this incident, the true story, happened in East Tennessee and into the uh, Georgia forest as well, I believe, is where this movie kind of intersects. Obviously, uh, the movie takes a lot of liberties, as you said, with uh, a killing spree and uh, a bear that probably lasted too long on uh, cocaine. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, though, this is the – I'm not saying this is a movie that I want to see or that people should go out and see, but sort of probably in the same vein as like a snakes on a plane where it's just a, you know, hopefully better than a Sharknado made for TV movie. Is, is that where we're at here? What, what's your, what's, where do you, it, come is, down it is better than a
1: Sharknado. Actually, there's a pretty decent quirky crime comedy. Okay. Um, you know, outside of the outside of the bear, the bear just is is one part of the equation here, uh, but it's a pretty big part. Right. Uh, but but yeah, this is a pretty enjoyable movie, um, even outside of the bear. But okay. but then but then there's the bear as well.
0: Um, well, ultimately, this is, this is probably one of those movies where the, you know they're going for gore, probably going for some laughs, whether they be intentional, unintentional probably a lot of satire or sarcasm involved here what was your you know your final reaction here to cocaine bear i guess this one be. it's a lot of fun well it sounds like a good change of pace too you know we get sequeled out i think a lot a lot of times here in movies and it's nice to have a, cla- a you know sort of a palate cleanser i guess with something that you've not seen necessarily before so uh very interested i'll have to check out cocaine bear uh what's your next film on the on the list
1: uh, let's see here. Next film is, I got to look this up. Oh, um, Creed, III. Creed 3. Creed right. yes. 3. I, I believe, I believe uh, it's already uh, the uh, third highest grossing movie huh. of the year uh, after um, Ant Man, Quantumania, and uh, Megan. But uh, yeah, this one has uh, Michael B. Jordan returning as Adonis Creed. Um, he uh, skipped out on. Uh, on taking responsibility for something in his past he left a uh, a friend played again by jonathan majors uh to uh to to uh be arrested uh not really in his place but uh to be the only one arrested of the two of them uh for a youthful indiscretion and uh now uh the jonathan majors character is back and uh he wants the uh the world heavyweight championship uh, he wants, even though he's, uh, you know, hasn't made a career out of boxing, he wants a Rocky-like uh, shot from out of nowhere at the World Heavyweight Boxing Championship. And, uh, you know, the good news is that Michael B. Jordan really steps up as director uh, yeah. in place of uh, Ryan Coogler, who has departed the franchise, I suppose. Um, and Jonathan Majors plays a much better villain here than he did in Ant-Man.
0: Okay. Um, you know, obviously, you have to probably take some leaps of faith, thinking that, you know, a, a guy come not essentially coming off the street to challenge for the World Heavyweight Boxing Championship. Uh, but obviously, there's an emotional connection between the two that uh, makes the makes the fight more worth people's while, I would imagine. Um, at the end of the day, you know, this is one of those. It's another boxing movie. I think boxing usually translates pretty well to the screen obviously you mentioned rocky this is a long-standing franchise but you know raging bull of course a martin scorsese masterpiece million dollar baby gets boxing really well i think they did you know clint eastwood did great with that you know boxing seems to translate does this creed 3 translate even though we've seen these characters before and then of course within this rocky universe as well it, it translates pretty
1: well. I read somewhere that uh, boxing has been depicted on screen much more than any other sport.
0: Yeah. It seems like it's just, I don't know if it's easier because, you know, there's from a technical standpoint, there's still things that you need to, to throw in there. You need to make things look realistic fight you know, punches and how people fall, how people look when they get punched, things like that. But it just seems like it translates. And I think it's a, a good life lesson as well, you know, with Kind of boxing and you know fighting against your demons or what you know things like that but uh does creed 3 work for you i mean is this a a a worthy i don't know if it's a finality in the trilogy but uh you know is this trilogy worth our while here is this is is this a good movie
1: it it works pretty well uh still kind of a stretch how this um Mm -hmm. jonathan major's character is able to get pushed so hard so fast Um, And there's some kind of some heavy handedness in the, uh, so to speak, in the uh, final act. But uh, but otherwise, it's a pretty good movie. Uh, Maybe not the best of the Creed or Rocky franchise. Um, I'd even go so far as to say it's the uh, very relatively speaking worst of the Creed franchise.
0: Okay. But uh, there were
1: two really good movies that came before it, and this one's a pretty good movie, so it's still worth checking out. I give it a B minus.
0: Okay, fantastic. Do you, do you hope they continue on, or should they end it at a trilogy? They should or... end it here. Okay, They should, they should
1: end it here before, because before, he makes a comeback in this movie, um, and I think that if, they, if he keeps making comebacks, people are going to get tired of him making comebacks.
0: Sure. Absolutely. All right, what's next on the docket?
1: Okay, it's a movie called operation fortune and then there's a uh, subtitle to it that's a uh, French phrase meaning um, going go go back to go forward or something like that uh, but this is a really unambitious spy movie starring Jason Statham uh, it, it seems like it should be really cool um, but it's it's not uh, he uh, enlists a uh, Hollywood actor to... Uh, infiltrate this this arms dealer played by Hugh Grant, uh, who has access to a client that, you know, can destroy the world. Um, you know, the whole premise was was blown wide open uh, last year by um, by Nicolas Cage in that uh, in that spy movie he did.
0: Oh yeah,
1: yeah. But uh, otherwise, this is a this is you know not a very funny movie, uh, not a very you know, cool action movie, uh, right. not a lot of fun twists to it. Just, um, just not a lot of fun all around, even though it wants to be, it has, it has kind of a playful mindset, but, but nothing it's doing is really connecting. And it, uh, seems to think that it can be the start of a franchise, uh, hence mm-hmm. the subtitle meaning, you know, go forward to go back, but it, yeah. it's, it's, it's not going to kickstart anything here.
0: Okay. Uh, well, final grade for, uh, For operation.
1: Okay.
0: All right. What's next on the docket?
1: All right. And we have arrived at the movie I saw last night. The reason I wanted to wait till today to do a show this week, and that is Scream Six.
0: All right. Latest chapter
1: in my favorite Slasher franchise. Okay.
0: Okay. Great. Well, um, yeah, I have to admit, I kind of tapped out, I think, after the second or third one. So I I haven't really kept up with the Scream franchise as it was rebooted, but. High expectations here to see what you have to say because I I didn't realize you were a big fan of the Scream franchise. So uh, let's get into it. What'd you think? I thought it was okay. Um, I I put it around
1: the uh, same place I put it, put um, uh, Creed Three, where it's not it's not a great entry, but I still recommend it. Uh, In this case, uh, some of the characters from the fifth entry. Uh, have now moved to New York, uh, which I can very much tell uh, was filmed in Montreal and not uh, New York City. Uh, but uh, yeah, they're uh, they're in New York now, and uh, uh, you know, having to deal with Ghostface and another series of murders, uh, you know, twists and turns abound. Uh, we have uh, Courtney Cox returning to the franchise. We have Hayden Panettiere returning to the franchise and uh yeah some uh, some inventive kills some nice humor uh some nice uh you know character work from the returning uh, core four as they like to be called uh from the uh, last movie and uh you know twists and turns until a finale where uh where they have to contend with uh, at least one killer let's okay. say
0: um ultimately is this a uh... You know, I you know I you, you liked it. I mean, is this are we are we screamed out? I mean, can they continue this franchise? Do you want them to continue working on scream movies?
1: I absolutely think they can continue this okay. this franchise. Um, you know, I I am terrified of the ghost face mask, but I like being terrified of the ghost face mask. Uh, and and you know, this can go as many times as they think that they can throw together a decent sequel. Uh, I like these characters by now and uh you know whoever whoever remains of the core four can uh can by all means continue on with more sequels to this franchise and give this this entry a b minus um and uh hopefully hopefully the next one can step up a little bit but uh but for now it's fine
0: okay well, sometimes old reliable is not too bad in the movie business. Uh, it's, you know, nice to to know that you're going in expecting something. And usually it probably delivers on that expectation. So, uh, well, obviously this weekend is a big weekend in movies. It's the Oscar weekend as they've, uh, you know, over the last few years have changed around the schedule. Usually late February is Oscar season. I think in the pandemic era they went into late March because of uh, – extending the voting period and extending the, you know, what films would be eligible. Uh, Here we kind of get a sweet spot, I guess, in between uh, late February, late March, and March 12th here on Sunday is the Oscar voting. uh, Oscar voting is done now officially. Uh, Winners will be announced on Sunday. Uh, Obviously, there's more than 20 categories. We're not going to go through all those categories, uh, but usually there's the, what they would call the big six, which are the four acting categories, best director, best picture, uh Bob, do you mind if we go through those and, and maybe uh, give our, our slate of winners for those categories? And then maybe if you want to, a little wild card category or a lock that you think is just an absolute lock based on uh, what you think?
1: We can go through category
0: by category,
1: but uh, I'll be honest, it seems like there's there's one movie that's uh, <laughs> yes. uh, rather, rather poised to make a sweep.
0: Uh, it, yes, in, it does. in every category,
1: but we can we can talk about the individual categories if you'd like.
0: OK, well, maybe we can uh, since I, I think we're on the same wavelength here on, uh, you know, obviously we didn't talk beforehand. Uh, did not want to skew our, our opinions on things, uh, but it seems like we're probably, you know, eyeballing the same kind of category sweeps here. Uh, I guess we'll, what we'll do is I'll run down uh, best picture. Obviously, there are 10 nominees this year. Uh, but it, it does look like everything, everywhere, all at once has the momentum moving forward for Best Picture. I'm assuming that you're in that boat, even though maybe early in the Oscar season it wasn't quite in there, and maybe the Banshees of Inishirin or the Fablemans were trending a little higher, but right now it seems like everything, everywhere, all at once is the is the film to pick.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that's probably going to win Best Picture. Um, I would... Imagine that it will probably win Best Director, although uh, I could kind of see Steven Spielberg uh, Mm. winning Best Director. I could see Spielberg winning Best Director over Daniels uh, more than I could see the movie winning Best Picture.
0: Sure. Yeah, you know, I think that goes for me with Best Director. I I think it's the Daniels, Daniel Kwan, Daniel Scheinert, who directed Everything Everywhere All at Once. They seem to, again, be in that momentum swing. Um, I, I think the you know spielberg it's it's interesting because you know he he probably you know just on the 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 gravity that he just orbits around hollywood he would probably be a shoe in in most years but i think one of the issues that he's faced here especially in the last couple of years um, box office return hasn't been there and i think that's stunted some of the the momentum because i don't think anybody would argue that you know the fable men's is another you know Spielberg movie and it, it's people like you said I think you said in your review of, of the Mens and we've talked about it before that people in Hollywood love movies about movies and movie making and this is a movie making movie from one of the all time greats but I think the box office return the popularity that's died down it, it just probably isn't going to be Spielberg's year to win yeah I think the problem is that the movie opened too early I, I agree with that because maybe a late December or a mid December you could have maybe at least had it more fresh in the minds, even if the box office return was still not so good.
1: Yeah, but this one opened in uh, I think uh, what was it, early November?
0: Some, yeah, I um, think early November was it the
1: never, the, um, never really, never really caught on with audiences the way it wanted to.
0: Which is a shame, um, but again, I, I think momentum. You know, the way they do Oscar voting and and sort of the stages they do it to allow for the momentum to build and and hear everything everywhere all at once. I think you and I can agree is probably going to come home with a lot of statues on Oscar Sunday. I I will say, though, um, as as we'll get into Best Actor first, I think Best Actress is going to be a real interesting battle between Michelle Yeoh and um, Kate Blanchett. I think it's going to be a real battle, uh, but we'll get to that in a second. But best actor, finally, we'll have a, a category where uh, everything, everywhere, all at once does <laughs> not win. Um, this seems like a two horse race right now with Austin Butler for Elvis, uh, Brendan Fraser for um, The Whale. I, I know had a lot of early buzz, especially coming out of the film festival circuit. Obviously, Elvis was a summer release from Baz Luhrmann. Didn't really get a lot of great critical response. It it did okay. The box office did pretty well. Uh, But ultimately, it it seemed like it was going to be one of those movies that might fizzle out, but it's kind of stuck the landing, so to speak, in some of these award seasons. You know, getting nominations for Best Picture, Austin Butler getting a lot of, you know, buzz. I'm going with Austin Butler over Brendan Fraser right now. And I think the biggest reason why is because even though people didn't, really respond that highly to um Elvis I think they responded to it a little bit better than they did The Whale where I think most people are saying that these are actors movies that carried it through but Elvis got the best picture nomination got more nominations overall compared to The Whale and I think Oscar voters just unfortunately for Brendan Fraser I think he's just going to kind of you know recess into the ether here and just not really be on people's minds when it comes to Oscar season, at least not as much.
1: Yeah. The Academy loves, uh, loves uh, musical biopics. Um, You know, Rami Malek in Bohemian Rhapsody as Freddie Mercury. Uh, Jimmy Fox as Ray Charles. Um, What was it? Um, Renee Zellweger as Judy Garland yeah uh, plenty of other examples but yeah that's why i think uh i think austin butler is going to win uh fraser you know the whale is another movie that i don't think uh people really supported that much um you know it was it was an, an aronofsky movie that didn't feature me so so i don't have that <laughs> much
0: interest in it um they need a bob garver bump you know
1: yeah yeah <laughs> but uh, no a, lo- a lot of people are saying that that's uh that that's probably the worst movie of his career mm-hmm. uh is is The Whale uh, even though it got Fraser this best actor nomination I think the movie itself um you know it's, is going to be forgotten pretty soon whereas right. I think this Elvis movie is going to be seen as pretty much the definitive Elvis movie going forward sure um despite despite its flaws including Tom Hanks and that awful accent
0: <laughs> yeah and I think there's the the sentiment would be to vote for Fraser because it's like this career resurgence and maybe you might say well if it wasn't for Fraser this movie would just be absolutely forgotten after you watch it but I just think Butler like you said the musical biopic when they're nominated the people you rattled off winning I I think it's going to be Butler yeah maybe maybe even a little bit tighter as best actress and you know it looks like it's a two a two person race here with Michelle Yeoh from Every Everything Everywhere All at Once and Kate um, Blanchett for Tar. You know, Tar got a lot of high praise early on in the Oscar season, but the momentum's on Everything Everywhere All at Once right now. I think by a razor thin margin, and I think this could go either way. I think Michelle Yeoh is going to win. But I would not be surprised if Kate Blanchett wins because I know a lot of people, whether you like the movie or not. I know you were a little iffy on it, but you you definitely appreciated the Kate Blanchett performance, and I think a lot of people really did. But it just seems like the momentum is not on her side moving forward. I I still think Kate Blanchett is going to win, okay.
1: even though she does seem to be losing ground with every award show uh, to to Michelle Yeoh, and there is a part of me that would like to see it. Um, you know Michelle Yeoh win her win her first Oscar as opposed to giving yet another statue to to Cate Blanchett. Uh, but Cate Blanchett is just so good in Tar.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I was torn on this one because I, I it could go either way for me. It really could. I think it's going to be a razor thin margin. I, I would not be shocked one bit if Cate Blanchett wins, and I don't think anybody would complain if she did. But I just, the momentum is there, and I think. And it's not like it's not about the the Oscar diversity type of you know voting. I, I just think the momentum is on everything everywhere all at once right now. Where when that movie came out, I don't think many people pegged it as this Oscar behemoth that it has become. And I just think that it's really gained a lot of steam. It didn't have a lot of competition because a lot like you know, the Fable Men's didn't make a lot of money. Avatar wasn't quite Oscar, you know, big time winning Oscar worthy. The Banshees of Inisherin, you know, while a lot of people enjoyed it, it's a little bit smaller in scale and, and probably not as, uh, you know, biting maybe as McDonough's last movie with three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri that just featured a tour de force performance by Francis McDormand. So I feel like I it could go either way, but I'm still thinking, yeah, just based on where things stand right now as voting has just closed a few days ago. So it's going to be a toss-up, but I, I think it'll be interesting to see who pulls that out. Um, another thing that uh, might cost Cate Blanchett, and again, she's still she's still
1: my pick, um, yeah. is that uh, she has been outspoken about uh, the Oscars and how they make actresses compete against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that that may have rubbed some voters the wrong way.
0: Very much so, possibly. Well, best supporting actor. I think this is probably among the slam dunks of the night. It seems. It Case is. Juan from Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Another Everything, Everywhere, All at Once win. But you know, this is a a, a great story too. A, you know, a child actor that has uh, you know found the mojo here and got back in you know perfect situation, and it, it seems pretty likely that you know he would win. I don't know if there's a a solid number two, but I think Quan right now is the one.
1: I would have thought um, Brendan Gleason for the Banshees yeah. of here in uh, yeah. would have been, a, would have been higher in the running for this, but yeah, it seems to be, yeah. seems to be a runaway for. Uh,
0: yeah. And, and Quan's kind of cleaned up on the circuit, the award circuit leading up to that. So it, it seems like it's a, a pretty inevitable uh, case right now, but another toss up maybe is the best actress, best supporting actress category. Uh maybe the early favorite was Angela Bassett. Jamie Lee Curtis has maybe, you know, closed the gap uh for everything everywhere all at once. I'm actually picking Jamie Lee Curtis because I'm on this this bandwagon that Oscar voters are just going to give I think what everywhere everything everywhere all at once has around eleven nominations or so thereabouts. Yeah. I, I I think they're gonna win seven, eight, nine, you know, I I, I could see them maybe not winning screenplay, but I could also see that winning screenplay as well. Um, Although I wouldn't be shocked if, if it doesn't, because they, you know, maybe Academy voters are going to spread the wealth a little bit, knowing that, you know, the the Daniels are going to be winning best director. They'll probably win best picture. Uh, But I, I do think Jamie Lee Curtis has kind of closed the gap. And I think, you know, Angela Bassett is, a great actress. And this would be a, 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 you know, sort of a lifetime achievement type at, you know, award, but it would also be one for Jamie Lee Curtis. And I think the tiebreaker for me is that Jamie Lee Curtis is in a movie that's nominated for best picture among other categories and Angela Bassett and black, Con- black Panther Wakanda forever is not. And I think that's going to be maybe the deciding vote for some of those Academy voters that are sort of on the fence on, which veteran actress they want to bestow their first trophy on.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely a toss-up between those two. And I know there's a a case for uh for Blanchett or not Blanchett, Bassett because uh you know it's a much showier uh performance mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time it's in a movie that was much more poorly received. Right. Uh, and, and I you know I
0: that, guess oh I'm sorry I didn't mean to cut it's, you off but I guess you know a part third of that kind person, of fall off. Yeah. You know, oh, go ahead
1: part of that kind of fall off for the MCU that we were talking about earlier. Sure.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think Kerry Condon too, for the Banshees, Vinnie Sharon is maybe in that third place, you know, maybe lurking in the weeds possibly where if there, if there's like a split on voters that can't really decide on, on Jamie Lee Curtis or Angela Bassett, maybe Kerry Condon's able to, to swoop in and maybe steal it by a razor thin margin, but it seems like it's a two person race here with Curtis and, and Bassett. And I guess it just, to me, it just, it really comes down to what movie was received better by the Academy. And it's pretty clear that the Academy giving everything everywhere all at once, the most nominations is is probably more in line with that. Oh, you know, although, you know, we've seen it before where you've had movies with several nominations that, you know, lose every category. Although I don't think that's going to happen here, but it's possible that maybe the 11 nominations, they only get three or four wins. Who knows? But uh, it will be interesting interesting to see. Is there a uh a wild card category or a, a lock? It could be among these these six categories that we talked about. Um but is supporting there like, actor. a category, supporting actor? Yeah. I actually I'm gonna go on a I'm gonna it's maybe a little bit more bold, but I think it's a lock. I think Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio will win best animated feature. Um I do think that uh you know Turning Red we both loved and I really love turning red and and any other year that would probably win best animated feature. But I think Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which has been cleaning up on the uh, award circuits, probably a near lock for that category. Yeah. It seems unstoppable
1: at this point as does everything everywhere at once.
0: Yes. Yes. You know, do you think that um, this, this is a ceremony that maybe people will watch? I mean, obviously Avatar last
1: year. (laughs) That's
0: true. Yeah, that's true um i'm sure it's probably going to be somewhat of a boring ceremony they're going to try to make it as boring as possible i would imagine given what happened last year um do, do you find that you know avatar do you think do you think people really care if movies like avatar or top gun maverick are nominated i mean yeah top gun maverick's nominated avatar's nominated for best picture but everybody knows that's that's read up on the oscars knows it has zero chance Of winning, So do you think people really watch it when those movies are nominated for best picture?
1: Oh, maybe they, maybe they will just because they'll say, well, at least I've heard of this movie.
0: Right. That's true. That is true. Um, Well, you know, obviously a lot to to digest afterwards. I'm sure. Is there anything, I know this is a, you know, we're getting into a little bit more busy time here for movies. Do you have anything coming up for next week? Uh, Well, I mean
1: this coming weekend is going to be the weekend where Scream dominates. Uh so the weekend okay. after that will be um will be Shazam.
0: Mm. Uh
1: after that there's a weekend with a new John Wick movie right. which I can't okay. wait to see.
0: Right.
1: Um and then after that um oh gosh, what is after that? Oh, uh Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, okay. And then Super Mario. Yeah, that's, that's those will be the those will be the movies the next 4 weeks.
0: All right. Well, the spring and summer season is upon us. I think the uh, it's, it's official. The bad movie season in the early winter is, is beyond us now and we're getting into the, uh, the big blockbuster season. Bob, as always, it was great talking to you. We will uh, probably get together next week, at least maybe and talk Oscar reaction maybe, or uh, whatever you uh, prefer. Yeah, we'll, we'll see um, with
1: uh, Shazam coming up, maybe, maybe as early as next Friday. Okay. Sounds great. As always,
0: Bob, thanks for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thank you very much. This is the highlight of my...
1: Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley.
0: Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much
1: as I was looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high-impact folks as well as have a little fun.